Hello and welcome to a new episode of Cinephiles Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have special guests, Lauren Peel and Scotty Baker. Lauren Peel coming on first, Scotty Baker coming on second. How was everybody's week? I hope it was as fantastic as you all are. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm going to start off this uh, this morning the same thing I start off every Sunday morning with, which is, what have you watched this week? Any good movies? Any good TV shows? I went and saw Ad Astra last night with Brad Pitt. That's always fantastic. And we'll talk more about that later on. We have Lauren Peel on here. We're going to talk about some cinematography, cameras, production work, things like that. Lauren Peel's got, got the, uh, the, the, the 411 on that stuff. We'll get down to Scotty Baker a little later on. We're going to talk about Fifth Passenger. So like I said, I saw Ad Astra last night. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, to say it was slow is, is to call a caterpillar, you know, a, a speedster. It was, it was slow, but it was, it was good. It was a good slow. But the one show I do want to watch or, or listen, talk about today is uh, Peaky Blinders. So I'm on the fourth season of Peaky Blinders, and I love the show. I really do love the show. The interesting thing about the show is it is glamorizing violence and what have you. Uh, let me give you an example. When I see people dressing up like the Peaky Blinders, I have to remind myself that the Peaky Blinders essentially, if you look at the TV show and if you look at history and what have you, these guys were basically serial killers. <laughs> you know, these guys were, other than World War I and 1918 uh, and the, world, the, war, uh, the big war, uh, when they came back to Europe and when they came back to America and what have you, and they started dealing with the, the, the black hand, the Italian black hand, that's when crime started. Now you're starting to talk about you know, Broadway Empire. You're starting to talk about different shows about essentially the mob turning into serial killers and it not really being about the just or the unjust protection of, of immigrants. It now becomes more about you know, it's the status quo, where am I, how much money am I making, am I moving up fast enough? It becomes a completely different issue than the migrant issue of I need to protect myself because I have no other protection. So it's, it's very strange for me to see people dress up like Peaky Blinders, knowing for a fact that basically you're dressing up like Dexter, <laughs> and you're idolizing a serial killer who, what, killed other serial killers? That that that's That doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I'm enjoying the show, but it's incredibly complex because I have that issue with it where it doesn't quite make a, a, a lot of sense to me, but I am enjoying it. If you do want to watch any kind of movie or TV show that will give you a good inside look at the mob and how it treats you and your family, go, go watch The Godfather. I mean, that's just your your best source of, of how the mob will treat you and, and how you'll live your life if you're in the mob world. Anyways, Peaky Blinders is a great show. Watch it on Netflix right now. There are, uh, season four is on right now, and season five is coming out right now as well. So great, great show. You know, let's not waste any time anymore. We got Lauren Peel over here. Let's go ahead and, and bring her right right in. L- Lauren, are you there? Hey, Peaky. Hey. We're all happy today. You're on. How are you doing? Good, man. How are you this morning? Very good. Thank you for and thank you so much for giving us time. I know you have a you have a job later. Okay, calm down, crowd. 
<laughs> I know I know you have a job later on. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, no worries. Happy to be here. So what are you doing on this on this uh music video today if you can if you can tell us? Uh so basically I'm first day seeing, so I'm pulling focus. Uh they have steady cam all day. Right. Um so one of my steady cam ops that I work with a lot named William Walsh. I'm pulling focus for him, probably wide open as usual. Right. That would be fun. <laughs> right. Now, for, for filmmakers, we all know like what pull focus means and what have you, but the audience doesn't really know what, what pull focusing means. And Can you explain to the audience what, is, what does that mean? And it's a very important job, a very important job. Yeah, it's, it's pretty important. Um, we don't like to say, like, we have the most important jobs on right. set and everything, but right. um, basically if I don't do my job right, then everybody else's job, the performance, the set design that you see, um, even, you know, the visuals that the DP has helped make are all for nothing because if it's not in focus, well, nobody's going to see it and everybody's going to click on to the next thing or maybe even leave the theater. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Right. So let's go, let's go back. Let's go back a lot, a lot further because I, I look at your IMDb. We, we don't really have a bio on you and what have you. So we're just, we're creating a bio right now. But uh, when I look at your past, what, what brought you into the world of film theater and in filmography? So um, I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in North Carolina and South Carolina um, and I always loved, even as a little kid going to the movies, like my mom would even give me a couple of bucks to walk across the street to go see a movie to get out of her hair for the day while she was working. And, um, something just always drew me to it. And I used to want to be an animator before that because I loved drawing. Then I went and I saw Pirates of the Caribbean when it first came out with one of my <laughs> friends. And I just kept on thinking the entire time, well, how did they do that? And that's really cool. And why did they make that choice? And would I have chose something different? And just my mind was churning the entire time. And when I got out of the theater, I looked at my friend and I was like, I think I want to go into filmmaking. I was just in high that's school awesome. that time. I think I was like 14 or 15 years old. And hmm. um, after that, I went to school uh, for undergrad and grad school uh, to pursue this. And so it kind of became my passion after that. Did you, did you do anything in the meantime, like do some photography or, or grab, grab cameras and try to see what was going on? Um, I think that with, uh, so my father, he's a pastor. Okay. And uh, so I kind of got involved with the church, like helping with youth ministry uh, okay. helping film different things, putting videos together for them and everything, and sort of just seeing where where and what I liked, you know, in a lot of ways. Because in the South, they have no idea, like, what a cinematographer is. Um, they certainly don't know what pulling focus is as a first AC and everything. There's right. just not a lot of canvas. They know, like, the director, the producer, the actors, and editor. They know stuff like right. that. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so, so it's kind so of took education along the way. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. You know, it, it seems like everybody from North Carolina to Louisiana always has some kind of pastor dad and them rebelling somehow against <laughs> This seems to be like footloose to me somehow in the movie industry when people come from those states. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think that your, 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 your pastor father instilled like a kind of a work ethic in, into you? Because I know how pastors do work. Oh, yeah. My my father is he's a great example of uh, somebody that is passionate about what they do, but also like it kind of encompasses their life in a lot of ways because he's on 24 seven. You know, if he right. gets a call at 2 a.m. Uh, that one of his church members is um, in the hospital, he's getting up and he's going and he's seeing them regardless, right. you know, and right. And I grew up with that, just seeing him constantly working, throwing himself into being there for everyone. And so it instilled a workaholic mentality in, in me as well, in a lot of right. ways. Well, let me, let, me ask, let me ask you a question. As a young boy myself, I definitely gravitated towards fields that had a lot of men in it. I obviously gravitated towards fields that had a lot of women in it, but in my, in my day and era when they were making movies, I did not see a lot of women making movies in pulling focus or holding a camera or, or anything close to that. Now, obviously you did not grow up in the same generation as that, but it was still uh, limited and limited. You know what I mean? So what, what did that push even harder or did you even notice that? Um, well, for me, I think that uh, I definitely noticed that it was a male-dominated field, especially in the cinematography department in camera mm. and in grip and electric. There just right. weren't a lot of women. So when I started this journey, I mean, even when I was in grad school and getting my master's in cinematography, um, mm. I was one of two women that were in my entire year. Uh, everybody wow. else was a man. And so we sort of like banded together and became very good friends. Me and the other woman did. We now work down here together. And huh. um, But it was very interesting going from that and then coming down here and being around a bunch of men and sort of seeing the progression that it's taken. Right. When I started my career, all of my seconds were men. Now a lot of them are women. You know, right. it, it's sort of uh, when I started my career, a lot of my DPs were men. Now mm. a lot of them are women. Like it's it's really cool to see because I think I was in that transition period in a lot right. of ways where I got to see it sort of happen before my eyes and be a part of the transition, too, which is really amazing. Did you see it happen? Because I, I was seeing a transition before the Me Too movement, and then I saw a, a probably like a quarter more turn after the Me Too movement as well. Did you see that? Did you see that transition as well? I did see that transition. All of a sudden people were coming out of the woodwork in a lot right. of ways because it kind of helped uh, a lot of women that were sort of afraid of like going hmm. after what they wanted to go after. And oh, that makes once sense. they saw like their are women that are pursuing this every single day and they're and they're you know dealing with trying to be just in the room you know and why why do i need to let those women just 
you know, fight the good fight alone. We have right. to be in this together because it's not about um, how, if I'm a man or a woman, it's about mm. my skill at the end right. of the day. Like I want somebody to hire me because I'm good at what I do and I bring something to the team. I don't want them to hire me because they're trying to fill some quota either, you know? Right. Well, the people I talk to about you and I, we do surround the same kind of circles of actors and directors and what have you. But the one thing I've always heard about you is that you're, you're really positive on set. You work extremely hard and you're one of those very extremely dependable human beings. So what, what I would ask about that is where is that, where does that niceness, that personality come into play when you're doing something so technically exact? I mean, what you're doing is technically exact and still you have a, a fairly positive attitude and you're, you're working around and everybody loves you and they continually want to work with you. How do you, how do you, how do you bring those both things into play? So, so for me, growing up, my father always said, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. I mean, this still is work, but I love what I do. I love being there. I love pulling focus. I love, cameras. I love the atmosphere that everything creates. I love that it's a team collaborative thing that you can't do it fully and effectively without even the PA, you know, I think it's so, I think it's such a great industry that we're in. So you can't help but be positive for what you get to come and do every single day and the people that you get to surround yourself with and pulling focus is one of those things where it's a it's a stressful job in mm. a lot of ways. And if you let that stress get to you, you're going to drive yourself into an early grave probably. <laughs> and also you're not gonna have fun. Like right. why why let the stress encompass you? And I'm a right hand person for the director of photography. You know, if they if they need something positive on set, if they're surrounded by negative, I want to make sure that they have that ability to create and it's not effective, affected in a bad way, you know? Right, right. So that's sort of like my take on trying to be positive for everybody. Well, let's go back to the college years. So you went to college for film. I did. Which college did you go um, to? So... Uh, in undergrad, I went to a college called Georgetown College. It's okay, not yes. the one in D.C. Everybody okay. thinks it's that one. <laughs> it's, uh, but Georgetown. It's the, it's the one in Kentucky. Oh. Um, I, I went there for theater performance studies with a double major in English literature. Then I picked up a communication minor degree somehow. Um, mm. But... I so you don't there, work very. Uh, so you don't work very hard, do you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I just kept oh on gosh. going. It was just wow. like I'll just keep doing this and I'll keep doing this. But the basically the school had in their theater department they had film classes, so they had screenwriting, they had short film one hundred and one, uh, right. editing class, and then the communications department, who I ended up working for, um, right. I ended up. Uh, shooting their, they had a web series, which at the time, nobody knew what a web series was, because it was like right. back between 2006 and 2010. So 
that was super interesting. So that was my undergrad. Hmm. Um, and then grad school was at Academy of Art University up in San Francisco. Uh, and I got my master's in cinematography up there. That's wonderful. Well, let me yeah, ask you a question. You know, you, you, you go to these colleges, but before that, you need to explain, to, well, you don't need to do anything, but you're explaining to your parents what, what you plan to do or what you want to do or, or what the thoughts are in your mind, knowing your father's a pastor, knowing your mother's a very hard worker and had to send her daughter off to, you know, movie theater sometimes so to, to get her work done. How do they feel about the field of work that you're going into? And were they surprised at all? I think that with my parents, I was the youngest of three by a lot. Uh, both hmm. of my siblings are a whole lot older than me. Um, hmm. So when I told them that this is what I wanted to do, they always knew that I loved the arts and I loved, uh, I was more so that passionate, uh, artistic one of the family. And for them, I think it was more so my dad's a very logical man. And so he didn't know how to help me. And in the beginning, he was just worried that I would be able to survive doing this, right. you know, financially in a lot of ways. Like they, they were for the most part like very supportive, but I think a lot of times with family when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a filmmaker, they're like, okay, what's your backup plan, you know? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> like, there's, right. There's a backup plan in there somewhere, right? <laughs> you're going to banking, right? Um, yeah, because they – you know, you, you grow up and they're like, oh, yeah, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever. Right. Like, okay, these are all practical jobs that you will always have health care with. You will have a 401K of some sort. Like, right. there will always be a system implemented for you. But filmmaking, it's like, okay, I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants and hope mm -hmm. that when I land on the other side that I'm still intact and no limbs have been lost, everything's okay. And I'm moving on, you know. So I think it's just like a, a different world for them. They just didn't understand right. it. But they, for the most part, they've been extremely supportive the entire way, which which has been really awesome. They don't know what I'm talking about sometimes. Um, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people like, know what you're talking about a lot of yeah. the times. I mean, you, you have a yeah. very technical job, yes. Exactly. Like pulling focus, they – it's it's still a, an uphill battle to explain that one to them. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to you, you went to school for cinematography. You you wanted to be an animator, and what what inspired you to want to be an animator? What, what made that transfer over from being an animator to being to, to wanting to be a, a, a understanding a cinematographer? So, uh, in the summertime when I was little, I would go. Uh, to these little like day art camp type things. And um, it was there that I discovered that I really loved drawing and I really loved painting. Um, and I ended up being really good at it um, from what they told me. And I, I loved Disney growing up. My mom is in love with Disney World and she goes all the time. And I was like, okay, so I want to be an animator for Disney, I think. And so I would draw and I would create, like I had stacks of books of just stories of drawings wow. that I had created. And it was all just very visual. And I think that when I made that transition over 
just already having all of these stories and visuals in my head, it was Hmm. so easy to make a transition from wanting to be an animator to wanting to do something where it's live people standing in front of you and in front of the screen and composing a shot that way instead of composing it on a page. That makes 100% complete clear sense. You know, I never thought you, I never thought anybody would be able to explain cinematography that easily. That was, that was very clear. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so essentially you basically drew in order to, to draw what you wanted to film later on. Yeah. Basically in a lot of ways when it, when it came down to it, like it, it was a simple move over. Like even in grad school, I took a storyboarding class in the animation department wow. just so I could, um, explain to directors like if I saw a scene that that I thought like oh this is how I think you want to compose it I could draw out an entire scene for them via storyboard if they needed you right know? wow that's genius and tell me how difficult is it to maybe pounce in on a director just maybe not pounce is probably another right word for it but maybe instill like a little belief on, on how you believe a shot should be taken. Do you draw it out? Would you, would you explain it to them? Would you kindly just pull them aside or would it just be done in pre-production? So it it kind of depends on the director in a lot of ways. Uh, Some directors are heavy on pre-production. Some of them are more like flying by the seat of their pants as they go. Um, And it also depends on the budget of the film, um, what you kind of get to do. But I've kind of found that some directors are very collaborative, and so mm-hmm. they want your opinion on a lot of things. And then some directors are very just, this is my way and this is how it goes. So you kind of have to find that happy medium with them. And once you sort of have their trust, you can – I've done anything in every single type of way to explain to them, this is what I think you want, um, or, hey, this isn't really working. Do you, do you mind if, like, I weigh in? Because, like, as a cinematographer, you, you are the person that is taking what is in that director's head, and you are throwing it onto the screen for them. You right. are helping them achieve that vision. You're pulling it out of nothing and creating something. And it's, right. and it's a brilliant technical job. It's, like, directing, they can have the actors. You have them. You know, mm-hmm. I'll joke with them in the crafty line, you know, but right. like in a lot of ways as a cinematographer, you have to do that. There are directors that know how to block and there are directors that don't know how to block and you have to be there for them in whatever facet you can be. Now, is this what you want to do professionally forever is, is cinematography or it sounds to me like you're, you're moving more into the directing area as well. Uh, when I first, started um, the idea of wanting to go into filmmaking, I started as wanting to be a director. Okay. Um, but I kept on, especially in undergrad, people would constantly ask me to shoot their projects for them. Constantly, mm-hmm. constantly, like, can you light this for me and can you operate it for me? And I'm like, yeah, I can totally do that. And so the world kind of was pushing me in the direction of, I this is what you need to be doing, Lauren. You know, mm. uh, cinematography is what you need to be doing. And I kind of sort of was like, all right, universe, I get it. Cinematography. So I think more so 
cinematography is what I will probably do for the rest of my life. It's not to say that like directing isn't out of the gambit. There are plenty of great cinematographers that have gone on to direct and everything. Oh, of so course. There's that, but mainly yeah. cinematography, I would say. So, what, what, what let me let me ask you a question? What what movies have you seen this year that have impressed you? For, for its cinematography. I mean, I, I said, I said Ad Astra last night with Brad Pitt, nice cinematography, little light on the movie, but beautiful, beautiful cinematography, even though it was practically 99% CG. It was very strange. How, how weird is that for you to see CG, CG backgrounds being used as a cine, cinematographic background? I mean, if you had asked me that question years ago, I would have been like, what? But now it's, <laughs> it's, so often, like everything that we see on television, all the way to the big screen on our phones, there's CG elements in so many of these big production things. Like, oh, we don't want to build an entire an entire city. Let's just build two buildings and then put a green screen behind it, and we'll build the rest of the city and then post. You know. It's, well, you as a cinematographer, way. what do you what do you do to to combat that? Maybe do you do you just pick projects that just don't have that kind of element to it, or do you do you just go just go for it anyways? I think that um, as you get further into your career, um, it's less about just like getting credit. You know how mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I'll take this short film because I need right. it for my reel. Oh, I'll take this movie because I need it and everything. And it's, it's more so about the story and um, about, you know, if this is a director that you really want to work with, or if this, these are some actors that you really want to work with. Uh, so it becomes more about, is this the right fit for me? You know? Hmm. And it's, it's less about like, Oh, I just, I just need some cash to pay the rent this month right. and everything. It's, it it becomes more so about that because I mean when I started my career like I DP'd some things that I was just like yeah you know I just like I like these few scenes and then now it's like I like this whole story instead of right. like oh there's a couple of scenes that could be really good for my reel and everything right if things are changing so incredibly fast it's you know, when I saw maybe the pre- the Star Wars prequel films was probably the first time I ever saw a completely generated uh, background in my entire life. I mean, mm-hmm. just completely, other than the matte paintings we saw as children, it was the first time I ever saw really a background that just didn't exist. It was quite it was quite amazing, but it's not the way it's done like today at the Mandalorian on like you know the the Disney Plus uh, episodes and what have you. And when you look at yeah. some of those Marvel films, I mean, half of those elements weren't even there when they were shot. And it looks perfect. Exactly. It's, it's quite, it's quite, uh, I mean, I would say it's alarming if, if I had a 35 millimeter camera, but it's not very alarming if I have like a really nice, you know, maybe, you know, black magic, you know, 4k or, you know, 16 K by now, but you know, now that we're getting to that, let's, let's get into cameras because, you know, I, I didn't want to isolate my, my, uh, my audience here, but uh, I do want to geek out with you about cameras. What, what is your, oh, what is your favorite ca- camera? Yeah. What is your favorite camera right now? Oh man. Uh well I've always been an Alexa girl. I'm not oh, I'm yeah? not going to lie. I love I love the color science uh behind yeah. the sensor. I think it's I think it's a beautiful sensor. And for the first time next year, um, they are 
remodeling their sensor because no. you know the Alexa Alexa Mini LS just yes. came out. Um, it was launched back in April, and it's now hitting the street here in Hollywood. Mm. And um, that one is a uh, full frame, 4K. Um, wow. I believe 4.2K is what it goes up to, because Netflix, when they came out with their listing of approved cameras, um, the Alexa LS, which is a big guy, big mm-hmm. camera, was the only camera. Alexa that was was on the list. Yeah. Uh, because all of the cameras had to be 4K and above. Right. So Ari goes, well, I guess it's time we upgrade the Mini. And they come out with this camera, but then they do one better, and they say at the launch party, I was there. Um, really? So, so all of the people here that have purchased this, by the way, next year we're coming out with the version where it's also Super 35, and that will have the brand-new sensor in it as well. Wow. So, so be on the lookout for that next year. Um, I'm really excited about that one. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I love, love the Alexa. I love, any, I love anything Alexa. I mean, even all the way back to the classic. The classic was the first one that I ever used. And really? it's just the, the simplicity of the menu system, how everything is just right there. It's, it was all designed for a camera. Yes. Like, it, it, it does feel it. like it, it was made. For, for our hands opposed to somebody who just quite honestly didn't understand what they were doing. It was, it was formulated exactly. almost for, for like a team. So you like the Alexa um, and you went out, you I like went out the Alexa. The, yeah. What else? Do you, do yeah, you like I black like magic? Uh, black magic. I think their color science is good, but right. as like somebody that um, mainly, I think, I think for me, mm-hmm. if I was shooting like a student film and I right. didn't have the budget, I would get the Black Magic. Right. Their color science is good because they have um, the gambit on the color wheel in terms of like Da Vinci and everything like that. So their color science is really awesome. They, I've seen their sensors improved a lot. I remember their first sensor on their first camera that came out, and if you pointed at the sun, like – you would get this crazy, like, purple um, <laughs> deal on them. Yes. I remember that all the way back then. And I think that they've come a long way. I mean, they're still pretty new to the game as far as right. uh, making cameras. Well, they're um, coming out of the pockets and what have you. And, and the first two cameras yeah. I own were the – yeah, the first two cameras I owned from them were the Blackmagic 4Ks. And like you said, the color science was really, really nice. But there were a couple elements that were missing, like the battery life was really poor. Um, some of the transfer oh, files yeah. were, were, could be corrupted very easily. It was very kind of difficult mm-hmm. to get that through. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know how I feel about with the Ursa Mini, uh, hmm. like that pop-out screen where it's all touchscreen stuff. Oh, right. Like, like, I don't know how I feel about that on a camera. That would be my, my big thing. Like with them, I think that they've got color science down to a T. They just have to, and they're, I can see the further that they get in their models, they're getting like better at designing things. And I mean, it was the same way with the, with the red, like look how many of them came out, you know, before they got their color science good and um, 
they were they were able to team up with um, Panavision and Lightiron to help make the DXL. You know that was that was a really like great move for Red because before right. that. I think that mainly the color science was the only thing that was really missing from the sensor in a lot of ways. But once they teamed up with Lyre and Panavision and they all made the DXL and then the DXL. Right. Too, it, it was a, I think that that was probably one of the better moves that red made. Um, hmm. Because they were the ones that were already like making all the K's. Right. Know, oh, six K, eight K. Sixteen K. Yeah. It's, it's just insanity when it comes to all, right. of, all of these resolution gambits. But right. I tell you, a camera that has really impressed me um, is the Sony Venice. Oh, really? Um, that camera has really impressed me. Now, Sony, um, I mainly work on, when I would work on Lifetime movies back in the day, mm-hmm. they were always Sony cameras. They were the F3 or the F7. Really? Um yeah. Yeah, there wow. was a lot of a lot of that. Yeah, it was like an F3 with a key pro on the back. <laughs> um which was always very interesting cuz they wanted that ProRes file. Right. Um but the Sony Venice, I did um a union show where I was the A first, A first AC on it and we used the Sony Venice starring Anna Kendrick and mm. um it was 6K full frame, mm-hmm. and we were shooting both 9 by 16 and 16 by 9. So what? for your phone, you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So simultaneously, and then we also had one by one surrounding it, and we did tons of camera tests at Panavision, mm. and the the DP she kept on gravitating towards the Venice's screen she just look at it like I love the blacks I love how clean it is and everything and you just didn't have to do anything to the sensor to give you what you wanted you know right. it was just there for you and it was such a brilliant image and so we were like well I mean it's chosen and I we chose it over the DXL2 because um, we wanted to shoot full frame and I mean, it was a brilliant camera to shoot with on that show. We shot ten episodes, um, and it just looked really great. That paired with Panaspeed lenses it was just a brilliant thing. And it has like a full menu oh, button that if you press that, you go down the Sony rabbit hole, or <laughs> you can just stay in your hot key world. You can stay I, in your key world forever, just changing things. Oh my gosh, that that's the one thing that Sony has really had to work on. Their menu yeah. system is just too much of a like, it I'm is. going deep and I'm never coming out of this moment. Oh, so yeah. with the Venice, they at least keep it separate for you. So that way you oh, only good. have to go in there in dire moments of time. But the sensor on that thing is really beautiful and the fact that it has internal NDs all the way up to two point four is mm. just amazing, you know. That's fantastic. So it's 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 changing really fast, and they're they're coming out with some really mm-hmm. new material. And Sony's pushing really hard. And they they came out with the Sony A7 IV, so they're really working on these sensors, bokeh, color saturation, in-still camera Everything. stability. Yeah, it's just it's in-camera stability. By the way, is is probably one of my favorite things on the planet Earth these days because we've had to oh, use sure. lenses 
for, yeah, we've had to use lenses for years for, for instability, uh, basically instability. And then now the cameras are doing mm-hmm. a lot of the work for us, which is amazing. How do you find that to be, you know, and by the way, I'm getting a lot of questions here for you. So I'm, I'm eventually going to have to get to those because the audience really wants to know a lot about you. Uh, and let me ask you a question right away, that not, not, because a lot of women are asking me questions. I'm afraid they're going to call me up and kill me. But there, one question I'm getting is, what, ha- what happens to you on set or what happens to you in a field if somebody tries to mansplain to you on, on, an, on an item that you already know a lot about? Are you more of a courteous type person or do you pretty much put that person in their place? So, so for me, um, it's all very political. Um, in a lot of facets. And I think that when a woman tries to put a man in her place, it, she's seen more as like, I mean, can, can I use the word bitch? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Word? Uh, yes. Yeah. She's, she's seen, she's seen like that. Yes. Um, so if, if a guy mansplains to me and I put him in his place, it's like, Oh, well, she's just, Yep, she's a bitch. Yeah. Like, don't yeah. don't go over to her and everything. Um, right. For me, I'm I'm probably I'm more of a courteous type. So hmm. you know, I listen to them, and then it's like kind of like a sly little like move in transition where uh, I basically just say my little gambit, and then I right. I move on very pleasantly. And hmm. they there's a lot of proving yourself. It's it's really stupid to say, but when we walk on set as a woman, mm-hmm. we have to prove ourselves in a lot of ways, you know? Yes. So I that's understand. why men will sometimes mansplain to us because they're like, oh, woe is she. And, and, and on the devil's advocate side, a lot of men don't realize that they're mansplaining. They mm. don't. Okay. Um, you know, because in society – that we've kind of also done the injustice to men by creating this world where they think that, you know, women aren't on the same level from Mm -hmm. like an early age, like, Oh, she's weaker than you. She won't know how to do this and that. And like, it's your job to save her. Like that's just instilled in their brains. It's like five and six year old little boy. Right. Then you have like this 26 year old kid that's on set with me trying to tell me like, oh, well, this is the best way that I like to mount this. Like, why are you mounting it like that? I'm like, because it's the most effective way for me, but I really thank you for the option of telling Mm. me like, this is, uh, this is what I need to do. Like, thank you so much. You know, (laughs) like, (laughs) I think you're, I think you're, you know, that's a good point there. I I don't think a lot of, uh, I don't think a lot of boys or men, know that they're asking questions the way they're asking questions. And it's, it's only until it's pointed out that they realize that they're not quite being all as respectful as they think they are. Exactly. And I've had guys like literally ask me uh, nowadays, do I mansplain to you? And they're like, <laughs> I want an honest answer. I'm like, yeah, sometimes you do. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like they don't realize it. Right. At all. Right. You know? Wow. Wow. Well, Suzanne, you know, I, I'd also, you know, and that, that's the caller that, that uh, left the message here, but I, I would say, Suzanne, as, as I'm listening to, to Lauren right now, I would say listening to her voice, I, I wouldn't doubt at all that she knew what she was doing when she came on set. 
you definitely have a presence about yourself and a certain confidence that you carry. And from what I understand from the people I talk to, uh, you, you, you do walk with a certain amount of an informative walk. Did you get that from your, your mother and father, that kind of sense of confidence, even though sometimes it could be a worry, a worrisome situation? I think to, I think to a degree I did, uh, because I think more so from my dad, because he has to stand up on a pool pit, you know, every single Sunday and right. preach to people, you know, right. like that, that can be a bit daunting. Um, right. But I think mostly I grew up playing sports and you have to be confident in sports. I was a four sport athlete. And if you didn't exude confidence, then the other That's team what it is. would prey on you, you know, I got it. And a lot so what did you, what did you play? Softball, soccer? I did Football? volleyball, basketball, softball, and I ran track. Jeez. Yeah, I was a busy wow. person. <laughs> wow. So you're one of those 25 unit doing every single sport and pull and focus type of people, aren't you? Yep, totally. I did like all the AP classes and honors classes. <laughs> I, I was one of those overachievers and I guess it just kind of continued on. <laughs> well, if you reach for the stars, the very worst you can get is a stratosphere. That's what I always say, you know. Uh, exactly. You know, that's, that's, that's amazing news. You know, so you're working on a music video today and what, what kind of camera are you working on today? Um, I do believe normally with this, uh, steady cam op, it's a red, so it'll probably okay. be a helium. I would say hmm. 8k helium. Yeah. Um, which you mainly, I mainly see reds in the music video world now. I don't see right. them a lot on, on film sets anymore. I used to a couple of years ago, but, Right. Once the mini came out, it was just like, all right, bye bye, red. Now, what do you, what, what do you, now I saw a gigantic jump as well from red to like Alexa, like pretty fast. Uh, what, do, what do you think that is? Why, why do you think people made that transition incredibly? Do you think it was one of the problems was that red was having some breakdowns with some of their equipment or what have you? I think that with red, um, so they do a lot of firmware updates, and each new firmware that they came out with, the menu system would get moved around. So something that I knew was in settings was now over in maintenance or like it was, it was always really weird. Right. Um, and also the fact that when that thing overheated, it would just keel over. It was like, Oh man, I'm done. Um, <laughs> so there was just like a lot of issues with it and the modulation of things. Like we're in this world where we modulate cameras. Like even with the mini, you have to modulate it. Right. But with that thing, it's like, oh, I need this to make this go and that to make that go. And I'm like, no, I, I don't. I just want to turn the camera on and it goes. Like, <laughs> that's, like, that's a lot of that's yeah. a lot of things that I had a problem with, with with Red is that a lot of things came, came kind of, uh, you know, like like accoutrements. Like if you want mashed potatoes, you have to order it separately. And if you want gravy, you have to order it separately. It's like I, I really just want to turn the camera on. Is, is that OK? And like pop a lens on. Yeah. Do you find that yeah, do you find you that sometimes when you're right? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you if you want if you want a, a mag, you know, a, a card, you yeah. have to pay two thousand dollars for it. Right. It's an right. SSD pro- card. Like I know it's a proprietary <laughs> proprietary card and when you when you when you pull it apart, it's basically an SD card. And it's the most hilarious yeah. thing I've ever seen in my life. It's like are you're so you're basically just making me buy your stuff. So there there's no wonder why Apple and Red are in cahoots together. 
uh, they work very well together as as a system of selling things separately. Well, they're they're very good at cannibalizing their own products. They they're high risk, you know, companies. They they're fine with it. And I mean, I get it. Like once you buy into the red train, each time yeah. they come out with a new camera, you have to upgrade because now your camera is starting to become obsolete. Right. And I think I think it's really it's really interesting because like there there are good things about Red, you know, and their business right. model was created, you know, by a CEO that made sunglasses. So their business model is let's make money. Like that's right. that's just how it is. Like let's go. And in a lot of ways, like I mean, I shot plenty of things on Red that look amazing. You know, right. they they look great. They they don't have a bad sensor, especially now, you know, with the Gemini and everything out. It's great. Um, and to to kind of like put it in other field with with Ari, with their new Mini LF, they have modulated their cards as well. So now their mags are, are codecs that are specifically made for that Mini. So they're right. doing the same exact thing because they looked at Red and they said, well, You've got a good idea. Two thousand dollars for a mag? That's not a bad idea. That's a good way to make <laughs> right. money. Like great way to make like money. Like Red thought it out. They knew that right. people would say like, "Oh, I like a brand," and let's go. Right. Hmm. So you've been using your Red camera today. No, I, I, I'd be, I'd be uh, diminished if I didn't ask you this other question, which is, uh, what is your favorite film for cinematography? What is your, what do you think? In your mind, in your feeling, what is the oh. best filmed film that you've seen? Maybe even lately. Oh, my gosh. That's such a loaded question. It is. Um, it is. Yeah, that's that's so loaded. Um, well, Anything you just enjoy to watch? I, Anything you just – go ahead. Well, there's, there, there's like things that you enjoy watching, and then there's things right. that you go, okay, I know when I watch this, I'm going to be in for some – something mm. beautiful right and everything and i mean um uh, it's so it's so hard for me i you know i really loved rogue one. Oh um, yes so greg frazier is probably one of my favorite cinematographers i'm like hoping one yes. day i will get to work with him um oh. i loved lion i thought it was absolutely Stunningly beautiful. Like when Line I when I wonderful. saw it, I saw that yes. I saw that as free screening that uh, we get to go to uh, being members of uh, ICG in our National Cinematographers Guild. Right. And I just remember just watching this thing, like when it opens on the little boy in the field, and it's just all mm. of these beautiful flowers that he's in, and all this glowing, and you're just like, who is this guy? Like. I need to like know this DP. Right. And, and I'm such a huge star Wars fan. So when I found out that he shot, was shooting rogue one, I was like, Oh yes, I have to see this. And I mean, being able to take what the original star Wars and new hope. Right. And expound upon it because that's what he had to do. Right. He had to, he had to make it look like it was still within that realm we're looking at decades upon decades later. And I think mm. that he did such a brilliant job. And, and 
from what I know of what he does, um, he has a filmlet that he loads into the camera. It's 5219 stock hmm. uh, that he's shot and then made a LUT out of, and that's the LUT that he uses to, to light with. So he comes <laughs> from a film world, which right. is just brilliant because I, I love shooting on film. It's there's nothing else like it. Oh, that, that's a good you know. segue because I was about to ask you that question. I See, I came from a generation where you can always tell which company made the film based on the film stock. Columbia, mm-hmm. Paramount, you know, Universal. They, use, they all use different film stocks. Some were a little more blue. Some were a little bit more yellow. Some had more grain. Some had less grain. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, we have to do that in post. Sometimes we do that in pre-production and when we want to access information about that. How do you feel about now that the world has changed in that direction? Are we going back to find that color grading again to, to change things up? Or are we just looking towards the future? What I've found, uh, especially recently in this past year, um, we'll shoot something, but we're shooting it at a higher ISO um, to get a grain, like it's noise, but they, they want that texture. Like a lot of DPs say, I want texture. So they'll mm. shoot it at a higher ISO. Uh, they won't light it as much. Um, or maybe if they do light it, it's not as insane. Um, but we're still shooting wide open. So we also have texture because um, you get the shallowness. But a lot of DPs are going back towards that idea of, I need, it looks way too clean. Like when hmm. you see effect stuff, like you want it to be a little bit cleaner, but there's just, cameras are so sharp now that we're diffusing them with diffusion filters. We're using vintage lenses. We're bumping our ISO up. We're shifting color science and everything all to achieve what a film camera gave us. Because exactly. Film was this, this perfect imperfection in a lot of ways. Well, that, that's, that's the weirdest thing right now that, that, you know, I, I, I look at is that it, it's become so clear and so, well, the words you use perfect that we are somehow dumbing down the image in order to get a different look. I, I looked at the, uh, what is it? The, the movie last night about, uh, about the Shelby, the Shelby story. And they definitely, they definitely color graded that film to make it way grainier. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do, do you do that in yourself when you're about to film? Do you do that in pre-production or do you, do you, do, do you like to do that in post? I think that um, if you want to maintain a little bit more control of the image, you do it in pre-production, like as, as right. a DP, if you want to have, because nowadays the colorist can just come through, especially if you don't get final color. There are a lot of productions that don't give DPs final color if it's not in your contract or whatever. Oh, really? Um, like okay. like in Terminator 2, like it's going to be blue in this section? So they're going to color grade mm-hmm. it later on? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So I think that if you do it in, in pre-production, if you make that decision, like we're going to shoot it like this, um, then it gives the DP the ability to control um, – the final image a little bit more just like in the film days because cinematographers were wizards back then. It's like all of a sudden 
you know, all of our ratios came through and we light metered and we had our color temperature meter and we did the whole gambit and we, you know, did our spot meter all the way to the zone system. And we were like the only ones that pretty much knew how it was going to turn out Hmm. unless the film got flashed, of course, but like that, that was kind of the thing. And now with digital, it's this instant gratification that happens. Everybody sits at a monitor and they're, and all of a sudden, you know, even the PA that's standing behind the monitor thinks they're DP. Like, oh, what's that? Why is that so like light up there? You know, like maybe you should get it us. Like, this is a monitor. Like, <laughs> might yeah. not be calibrated properly. Like, don't <laughs> don't choose this. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 really interesting how it's sort of come a different way, and these times are just are just crazy because film is coming back in a lot of ways. There's it is. A lot of things still, still shot on film. Um, and I, I still do a couple of film jobs a year, which, which is great. Uh, you got to keep that knowledge alive for sure, because it needs to be passed down. Right. You have to. Well, we're closing out the interview right now. And let, let me ask you, you know, as, as, as a child wanted, you know, seeing Pirates of the Caribbean, wanting to be a cinematographer, going to college for it, working extremely hard, getting there, getting the positions you're going to get. If you can look back at perhaps yourself at a point where you maybe questioned your choices, what would you tell that person now? Uh, I would, I would tell her that you got to keep moving forward you can't focus on what's happening now or what's happened in the past. You have to keep moving forward because if you don't move forward and you stay back here, then you will never progress as a human being. You will never progress in this career. And you need to remember why you got into this, that you love it because it's a love hate relationship. There's a lot of times that, you're like, why am I doing this at hour 18? And it's like, because you love it. Right. Right. Passion. Would you say you have a passion, passion. for this? Yeah. Hmm. Well, Lauren, th- th- you know, Absolutely. thank you so much for being on today. You know, one of the, one of the issues I have with a lot of people that do radio and what have you is, is they don't feel like they have anything to say or they don't feel like they have had enough life experience to like teach anybody or to share your knowledge on to other people. Meanwhile, this conversation alone has motivated a lot of people and helped out a lot of people to understand you and the world you live in. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Now, if we want to reach you, if we want to contact you or see any of your work, how can we do that? I know we can go through Lauren Peel IMDb, uh, do you have social do you have social uh, communications as well? Um, I don't have a website. I'm working on that. Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, I know, right? No website. <laughs> it's a it's a problem. I'm a union person. Where are you gonna put your Where are you gonna put your sizzle reel? <laughs> I know, right? Um, <laughs> I honestly, I have obviously Facebook and uh my um, Instagram account. Uh, and I think that Facebook has a link to my, uh, my reel. 
Um, it, it certainly has a link to my drone reel as well. I'm a drone operator, <laughs> so I do that. But, um, but yeah, those are probably the two best means to to see what I'm up to because I I'm pretty good at posting on my Instagram like this is what I'm up to right now. Yes. And well, I love seeing you. I love seeing you with those lenses that are bigger than you. That that is some of oh, my favorite yeah, yeah, photos yeah. of you. Yeah. I always yeah. I always get a good chuckle. I'm like that lens is bigger than your body. Exactly. Oh uh, yeah, the one in Fiji, especially that yes. thing was huge. That thing was gigantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Try like that was wide open on a beach with them like. Um, that was wide open on a beach. Wide open on a beach. They're walking. They they have horses and they start probably like, I would say almost it it looked like it was a half mile away. So they start all the way down there. And they come all the way up to past the camera and everything, and you have to nail it because they're doing like a big long scene. So that was mm. that was super super interesting. I was also on a on a dolly. Yeah. <laughs> as well, so that's fun. <laughs> you know, I just discovered that you're actually a very dangerous guest to have because I can actually talk to you for like another hour because I can literally just talk to you about cameras. And just working behind the camera and working in those areas forever, literally. Uh, you are a very interesting human being. I, I very much appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much for being on this weekend. And thank you for giving us the time, even though you have a job today. You have, you have work right yeah, after no this. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm probably going to, you know, get ready and then hop on over to go some, pull some focus for the next 12 hours. <laughs> Well, boys and girls, that was Lauren Peel. Lauren Peel, thank you so much for being on the show. Please stay on hold. I'm going to have a little conversation with you while, while they listen to some music. But, Lauren Peel, thank you so much for being on the radio show today. Thank you for having me. All right. That's Lauren Peel. All right. Let's listen to some Angel as I get Scotty Baker on in here.
Well, I'm going to change the song next week, but I do love that song a great deal if you, if you haven't noticed. But uh, having Lauren Peel on today was, was fantastic, was it not? Uh, she gave us a, a lot of fantastic answers about where she came from, her mother and father's influence on her filmmaking, where she went to college, how hard she worked. And you can tell it took a, a, a certain amount of manic energy to get that thing moving. This girl works in five different sporting athletic movements and takes 23 units in college and has a job and what ha- I mean, you're talking about somebody who's a highly motivated, highly focused human being. Do you need to be that to be successful in Hollywood? I don't think so. I think you can be half of that and be okay. But I, I think it's important to hear that from certain people. So you know exactly in which direction we're going into. Well, we have the great Scotty Baker on right now. I can't wait to have him on. He's going to talk to us about Fifth Element and, and some of the cast and crew that have, that have, that have been there. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about some films that we like as well. Let's bring Mr. Scotty Baker on. Let's let, 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 the, let the audience know that he's welcoming us here. Hey, Mr. Scotty Baker. Look at that crowd. They love you. <laughs> How are you doing, sir? Good. Doing right, man. Yourself? Very, very good. Thank you. So I haven't seen you in a little while. Last time I saw you was at at one of the cons. Um, Mm -hmm. You, we had a a conversation a while back about Fifth Element when you were in production. Now you're you're past Mm -hmm. production. Uh, The film already came out, right? What? Yeah, yeah. Um, Fifth uh, Fifth Passenger, actually. Fifth Passenger. Uh, Where did I say Fifth Element? Oh, how did that yeah, get? Yeah, stuck? yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for saying fifth passenger because fifth like, element. Good. You know, I was say it's you know they're both they're both science fiction films, so you know. Yes. <laughs> well, Luke Besson is not a, he's not, he's not crap, but uh, I'll be honest, that wasn't one of my favorite movies, so I don't even know why that was in my brain. <laughs> but you yeah, got the yeah. fifth passenger in there, and you're in pre-production and and in production when last time we spoke. Uh, how did the production work after that? Uh, great, man. I mean, we got we got the film done, which is uh, the number one most important uh, part of the whole thing. Uh, yeah. With with any with I was going to say with any independent film, I say, but just with any film at all. Um, right. You know, getting getting a film done is a, a minor miracle. Um, so many so many scripts get written. So many projects go into development or pre-production right. and don't end up getting made. And I feel so fortunate that I had an idea. I was able to write a script and get some people to, to back us on crowdfunding and then get into production, get the film made, get the film through post-production get it into distribution and get it out so people could watch it and have it be more or less the film that I set out to make. I, right. mean, I feel, I just feel so incredibly fortunate to have gone that distance with the film. Uh, I'm uh, glad, I'm glad you yeah. said that because it, it, it is incredibly difficult to write a script and then, then see the final product being done. That is a, that is rarer than people think it is actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just you just think that there's probably, you know, uh, uh, somewhere around a hundred thousand scripts floating around LA right now, right? right. And uh, right, and that that's, that's probably that's, that's probably on 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 the low end. You know, maybe there's mm-hmm. uh, half a million scripts or or something like that. Who knows how many scripts are floating around um, LA right now in New York? And, right. 
other other people out there trying to get their films made and and I, not even one percent of those films gets to the 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 pre-production stage and then uh, a number of those films don't make it and, and so um you know like i said I, I i feel like it's a it's a minor miracle that that something gets made and and i feel so fortunate that that my film got made and i'm i'm, I'm happy with with how it turned out you as 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 a filmmaker, you set out to make a certain type of film or 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 a certain thing you have in your mind. This is the film I'm trying to make, and right. you go through all the all the all the journey that it takes to make the film, and certain things inevitably aren't going to turn out how you want them to, and some things are going to work in your favor, some things might be better, and and then at the end you're like, okay, I got this film, and how much of it was was what I set out to make, and 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 I feel I feel pretty good about uh, what what I set out to make and well, what you, I ended up with at the end of the day. You're not a you're not a tiny worker. I mean, you you work on on several several different elements of film: directing, cinematography, steadicam, writing, directing, producing. It's not like you you just stand still and wait things wait for things to happen. It seems like you 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 definitely push your way through. Yeah, for sure. I I I. I got into I got into the whole process when I was in high school. Uh, I I I'd always wanted to be an actor, so really uh, I got together with 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 my buddy Phil, and he wanted to be a special effects makeup artist, and we'd just make these stupid little videos with with my dad's VHS camera, uh, <laughs> just just you know little horror comedy kind of stuff. You know, sure. He, he wanted to chop my finger off, so we you know we'd, we'd write a little script. <laughs> you know, a reason to chop my finger off and then we do the thing. And, right. and, and so that process of like do it yourself backyard filmmaking in, in the days before YouTube was even a, you know, an inkling in somebody's eye before the internet, it was right. just us, us fooling around stuff that we could show our friends and show our family. And that, that I, I feel like I'm still kind of doing that today. Like we, mm. It was it was me and my friends, and then we got more friends roped in. And then as I got older, it was just a hobby, it was something to do for fun. Because I I never thought of it as something I could do for a career. Because I lived outside of L.A. and I didn't know anybody else who's in the. Oh, where'd you grow up? And, uh, I, I grew up in Silver County. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lovely place, but there's just not much as far as the film industry goes. No. Uh, up no. there, and you know, like I said, I, I didn't know anybody, and so I, I went to school and got a degree in history, and was going to go into teaching, and um, I was in Get I was in the Peace Corps. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So I, I did so all you, these. Yeah. So you, so you wanted to be a teacher. You went to the Peace Corps. How long were you in the Peace Corps? Uh, now that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, I was, I was in a little over a year. Um, I was supposed to be out there for two years, but it was right. during. Um, it was, it was during um, September 11th. I was in uh, Turkmenistan uh, and in 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 Central Asia, and jeez. Mm, uh, so we all got brought geez. back because um, you know we were out there by like Afghanistan, and they were they were afraid that you know there was going to be some sort of sort of repercussions or something. So wait, like, hold on a second. You were in Central Asia during 9/11, so they they yeah. shipped you back during that time. That is that would be an incredible story. <laughs> as a movie, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I hate to, I'm trust me, I hate to like bring it down to like a promotional movie, like because it's your life story, but that's incredible. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was I, I, 
the country I was in was was pretty safe, and you know, I I never felt like I was in any danger or anything like that. Right. Um, it was just sort of like I mean, the the whole that whole time everything happening was was kind of chaotic in a sense that you know we didn't know what was going to happen as far as our future went, but I didn't ever really feel I didn't ever really feel in danger, but um, mm. they didn't. They they weren't sure, so just to be safe, you know, everybody that was that was in that area, they brought back, and so so that actually, you know, uh, probably put me on that on the path to where you know you know when oh, when I got into filmmaking because my my plan at that time was to come back, get my master's in education, continue teaching, and and I came back early. I didn't. I, I wasn't expecting it. It was just like, okay, now all of a sudden you're back in the United States, and I didn't have a right. job. I didn't have a place to live, and I started floating around and couch surfing, and ended up over at my buddy Phil's house. You know, my childhood friend who we were making making stupid sure. films with, and um, I, I was I was standing on his couch, and and <laughs> we were talking about you know the the stupid films we used to make, and right. this was. This so this was, you know, 2001, 2002, and digital first started hitting the the consumer market where you could buy the the cheap um, digital eight cameras and you know like the Sony SR ones and what have you. Um, the like 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 those Sony handy cams, you know, they oh, yes. had they had ones mm-hmm. that shot on on tape. With this ice lens, it was digital. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was all. Uh, I mean, it was it was consumer quality stuff that mm-hmm. you know uh, we had access to, but it was it was digital. So right. the the quality was was slightly better than you know VHS, and you could you could edit on a computer. Nonlinear editing was like consumer available, and and it was like wow, we could like we could do this because I, I I never had access to to film uh, mm-hmm. or, or anything like that, and. And so we started uh, messing around with that and started making movies again and, and uh, you know, bringing in more friends. And I moved down to L.A. and started meeting more friends who were kind of doing what I was doing, uh, do-it-yourself filmmaking and one that hadn't gone to film school or anything. And so I, I and that was, so that was kind of my thing was just I'd watch movies that I liked and – I would watch the movies over and over again, and I would watch the the behind the scenes and the making of and and all those sort of things, and try to learn what I could learn from that stuff, and then just uh, practice it by shooting my own stuff. and And if if I didn't know how to, if if I didn't know somebody who did a certain aspect of the job, I just try to teach myself and try to learn it myself. So I, yeah, so, yeah. I, so I learned how to use the camera. I learned how to. How to how to direct, how to edit, how to um, how to light scenes, how to do special effects, yeah. practical effects, and also uh, uh, VFX stuff and that whole thing. So, it's very much like uh, Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh was one of the very few directors that I saw that would grab a camera, sit in the back of a car, and and film a scene. Uh, yeah. Did you ever did you ever see directors doing that, and was was inspired to do that as as well? Um, yeah, for sure. I, I think like uh, Robert Rodriguez and stuff like that. Sure. Just, just this idea, you know, for me, it was just like the, the, there was no other alternative. It was like, oh, I, I'll just take the camera and I'll do it, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> it was sort of like, <laughs> like you know, I, I had I had gone to film school. I learned, okay, well, this is the way it's supposed to go. There's a camera right. operator, and there's a DP, and there's a director, and the director's supposed to sit behind the monitor and, you know, shout something to the camera operator or whatever. You know, it was just right. like uh, there was there was only me and the camera and like two other people, and so you know, I I had to kind of teach myself how to do all those sorts of things, and so I just became very very hands-on with stuff and now right and and then in, in in that process like i picked up steadicam because i love the movement of steadicam and what that can give you so i taught myself mm-hmm. how to do that because i wanted that in in the, the the things that i was shooting and at some point that that took on a life of its own and has become yeah that has has become my day job is, is like steady well, cam you, operating. You sort of you sort of filming very very early on. I mean, you started filming as a child. So you were seeing with your friends. And what inspired you to to just pick up a camera and start working? I mean, Spielberg is probably the only person I know of. Uh, you know, a lot plethora of us do the same thing. But Spielberg is the one who who filmed in his backyard, did old World War II fo- films, and now he's just one of the biggest directors in the world. What, what motivated you or what inspired you to pick up a camera and just give it a shot? Um, let's say as far as like the films, the the I say the the three films that had the most impact on me as a kid were obviously Star Wars, um, Wizard of Oz, and Clash of the Titans. Ah, the old, the old Harryhausen oh, yes. stop motion, mm-hmm. you know Greek mythology thing. I loved like absolutely beautiful. Was, yeah, yeah, just uh, mystified by that. Just. The magic, yeah. like, and and all, all all three of those films have this sort of similar element of of, of fantasy and and um and I, I loved um, I loved old Star Trek um, and uh, were the ones that I that I, I really enjoyed as a kid. But it was it was uh, science fiction and fantasy and 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 a bit of horror elements of of stuff. But yeah, I loved I loved the fantasy, mm. um, you know creating a new world and, and going into those sorts of things. I really, I really liked. And, uh, mm. and the, yeah, so the, those are the things that like inspired me. I, I love I right. the stop motion and, and, and the monsters I, I, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. It, I'm very curious to know because, you know, looking at the aim you had as an arrow was in a completely different direction at, at one point in your life. And then you changed directions. I'm not saying that you didn't have it somewhere in the back of your mind, but how did you did you tell your family and how did they feel when you when you told them that you were going to change directions and go in this way? Uh, well, I I think they 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 always knew um, what I was doing. Uh, mm. I I had always I was always kind of making the making little films along the way as a hobby and as as fun, and so mm. so they knew uh, they knew. That I, I had a passion for for films and and I think so. So when I said, "Hey, this this is you know, I I got a job doing this or I got a job doing that," they're like, "Oh, that's awesome! Cool, go for it!" You know. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. I I and I'm like I'm like the first person in my family to 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 go and get a college degree and and so I I I felt a, a sort of pressure that like oh I need to be a a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, you right, know, do, right. do, a, do a kind of traditional kind of uh, occupation. 
not not a pressure where I, where I had like overbearing parents who 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 demanded that from me, but just sort of a sort of like like a background obligation that okay, well I guess I, I better do this sort of this sort of job. But but my family, my parents are always really supportive and sort of whatever I wanted to do. Um, uh, the, there was never a sort of an expectation like okay, well this is this is what you're explicitly expected to do with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're always super happy. And, and both my mom and my dad are, are, are super stoked that I'm making films and doing, doing what I love and doing what I'm passionate about. And so, awesome. so there was never a sort of, yeah, yeah. There was never a sort of like, Oh, well you should do something responsible. And, you know, how are you going to make a living? I, I, I never got, I never got that kind of, um, I never got that kind of do I ever got from my right, right. I'm gonna get grandkids, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Like, uh, my, it don't, my, it don't. my movies are are my kids, Go. so so those are those are my grandkids. Those are your <laughs> children. Those are your children. <laughs> Expect yeah, your yeah, child to yeah. come in a can. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So let's let's get to the fifth passenger because I've I've been waiting to get to this here. So when I was talking to you, you were still grouping together actors. So so who is in this film and what is this film about, please? Yeah, so uh, we we have a really awesome cast. Uh, Morgan Rye is the lead. She's the uh, co-writer, co-producer with me on on the project. Um, and and uh, we have uh, Mano and Taremi, Tim Russ. Doug Jones, Armin Shimmerman, David Lim, uh, Hannah Hate, um, uh, quite a few of those actors are, are from uh, 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 Star Trek. Marina Sirtis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a lot of those actors are, are from, from different Star Trek series. Yeah, I just uh, had Doug Jones on about three weeks ago, so he was talking about the oh, passenger great, as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's the he's the nicest guy in the world. Really, really oh yeah. Really fortunate to have worked with him. You know, somebody like that who's who's so talented, and then just also yeah. has this this great outlook on life, and is such a such a wonderful human being. Who else do you have uh, in that cast? That, that's a huge Star Trek cast. Yeah, yeah. So feel feel super fortunate. Um, and then uh, that, that's the, those are those are the main players. And then um, uh, uh, Herman Wilkins, uh, mm. you know, uh, Ryan Husk, um, Darnell Davis, Rico Anderson. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's uh, but the the main wow. five there is is, is uh, Morgan, David, Armin, Tim, and and Manu, and so it's about five people in an escape pod after their spaceship blows up. So this sort of lifeboat in space, and uh, as they're they're unsure whether or not they're going to get rescued, resources and air is running low, and so they're fighting amongst themselves. And then there's an alien creature we throw in the mix to. To make it more exciting, and so right. yeah, it's a sort of um, science fiction thriller with a little bit of you know, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of horror elements in there. So, would you say that it's um, following in the footsteps of, of movies like Alien and what have you? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a little um, it's, it's a little less action than than Alien, though. Sure, it, it's definitely hugely inspired by by my love of, of films like. Alien, Event Horizon, Moon, uh, um, yeah. uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, um, definitely, yeah, those those are the four sort of like, like reference films I often give when I'm, when I'm talking about it. It's it's definitely a, 
a film that's that's different than all those shares some elements. Um, you know, it's it's always hard to compare, especially when you you know you're trying to compare my little independent film to. Yeah, listen, I I I saw I saw. I saw Brad Pitt's movie last night, and I got to tell you, the only difference between Brad Pitt's movie last night, which most likely cost around $85 million, and other people's smaller films that maybe cost a fraction of that, is that his his story basically took out half the story in order to, to make it more cinemographic, cinegraphic, right. more just picturesque. And yeah. our stories fill you full of story. Um, story arc. The, the film last night just didn't have any of that. It, it, it missed plots, yeah. it missed spots, but it was uh, still a great film. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, we, we, we did something that I feel. Uh, whenever you're sitting out to make an independent film on, mm-hmm. on a very low budget, there's, there's this, this fine line between making something ambitious and making something like beyond your means. And, and, and I, and, and and I feel like we, we were definitely on that line where, um, I, I, I definitely was very ambitious in, in, in what I wanted to make. And, and I think, um, there's, there's maybe a, a couple faults, in, in my film because I my my ambition exceeded my budget um, hmm. and and I you know that's that's just what you do as a filmmaker I, I think you got and, and, and you try to make the best film you can with with the resources that you can or, or that, right. uh, that you have the resources that you have and and uh, maybe maybe we stepped over the line a couple times uh, because because we tried to do something bigger than than what we had. Well, did, did did you feel that way because of the actors that you had at your disposal that you needed to make something grand? I mean, I've seen the film myself already, so is that is that what you felt, or how, what did you feel? No, I mean, you you, you just, got. Uh, go I, I would say it was just 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 what I had set out to do from the mm-hmm. beginning. I mean, you know, you know, like I said, the, the films that inspired me, you know, you know, right? Uh, Star Wars, Wizard of Oz, and Class of Titans are all really big films and, and they, and they feel, right. they feel big. And that, that's, that's always what I wanted to make. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy, I enjoy small films. I, I enjoy films that are, uh, uh, um, about a few people and, and that, that feel, um, uh, a very, what's, what's what I'm looking for. Um, uh, close and small and in, in, in ways that are, that are more intimate. Um, but mm. but but I wanted to make a, a a big film that like okay this is the kind of film that you see up on on the big screen in the theater and it uh, has has a has a big Hollywood feel in, in a sense I, I I I set out to make that kind of film on a on a super small budget uh, right and so I was just I was just trying to live up to my imagination is 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 what it was and um, more more than anything and I feel like giving the actors just was something that that I I didn't plan on doing when I when I first set out to make the film happen. In, in my mind, it was going to be oh, it's going to be I'm going to find great actors that are unknowns because I can't afford to have 
actors that that have any sort of name. So I'm just going to have to right. make it with unknown actors that I have at my disposal. Um, and I, I just I got really lucky in in getting a connection into the Star Trek world. Did, did you let me ask you a question? Did, did you get lucky? I mean, it doesn't seem to me like you got lucky. It, it seems to me like you worked your butt off because these these people are constantly being hammered for appearances for movies, for other things, and you got them all. And you had the patience enough to wait for a lot of them too as well. So it looked to me like like you yeah. really you, you hammered the pavement. Yeah. Well it's you know the, uh, it's like luck is 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 not just being at the right place at the right time. It's it's being right. ready when you're at the right place at the right time. Right. And, and exactly. So I, I met um um uh I met Monowin Taremi I was I was doing Steadicam on a project with with my buddy Prince, who's who's an indie filmmaker like me, just hmm. a, a guy who had like bought a red camera and said, "Oh, I'm gonna make my own movie." And so <laughs> I was helping I was helping I was helping him shoot some stuff for his movie, and and nice. and, and I met Manu, who had been in Star Trek Voyager. Oh yeah. And we we were we were riding in a car together, and uh, we were just chatting. I I didn't. I didn't know he was in Star Trek because I I hadn't seen much of Voyager at the time. Oh really? So I don't know that I'd seen the episodes that he was in, and I wasn't as familiar with all, all the casts of of that particular show. And so, Egypt. Um, I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I was just I was just chatting about um, uh, uh, about this, that, and the other, and brought up that I had written um, a science fiction script. And um, he's like, oh, well, you know, I was in Star Trek. And, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then just like our, our conversations, I was just like, man, he is so much like this character that we have in the film. Mm. And so um, I said, hey, I'll, I'll send you the script. And, you know, I've got a character that, that you might enjoy. And um, it took him a while. And then he eventually got back to me and, and said, dude, I love the script. Um like where, where, where's where's it at? Like what's what's going on with this film? And at the time, right. it was just you know, uh, uh, Morgan and I had a script and that was it. And uh, we didn't we didn't know we didn't have the first clue how we were going to get the film made. <laughs> and he, he he came on board and I um, said, well, you know, Tim Russ might be interested in this part. And, nice. Uh, and then we so that it kind of that sort of like started that started the movement um and then i met uh mark vickery who, who was doing his film called space command and right. uh and i was helping him out with his film and meeting some of the actors he he was working with some of the star trek actors and that's that's where i met doug jones i met um i met ryan husk and, and doug jones through that project and nice. so that's that's where they ended up coming coming in at, at that point. Um, so yeah, it was just like, you know, you know, like you said, I, I, I was, I was working really hard. I was putting myself in, I, I was saying yes to everything and trying to put myself in, in, hmm. in films and in situations where I was, I was meeting people and I was working with people that I admired and um, just kind of trying to do everything that I could do. Like just like saying yes yeah. to everything and, and yeah. um, feel like you sort of, if if you have a a mindset for like this is this is what I want to do, these are the kind of people that I want to meet that I want to work with, 
Mm-hmm. You come out to LA and you start you start doing the work and you start looking at like oh these are events where these people are at or if you're actively seeking out the people you want to work with then if you put in that effort I think you'll you'll get there and, and you'll find those people and and start almost like a vision those, board. Those. Yeah, 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 and in a sense I I feel like it um, for. I don't know how many years I felt like it was it was waking up every day and saying okay what what can I do to move this film forward what's going to put me one step closer to getting this film made and just like committing to that every day like this is this is what I want to do this is my whole life is making this film happen and right um, yeah I mean and that was you know three and a half four years of doing that to get mm. to the stage where we got the cast together and then we got the money on Kickstarter and we were ready to go into production. It was, right. It was that sort of journey. And, and uh, so, nice. yeah, it, 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 it's, it, you know, you know, bring it back to think about luck. It's, it is, it is a bit about luck and it's, and it's about planning and it's about mindset. And it's about doing the stuff. Cause yeah. I could have met, I could have met any of those actors doing what I was doing as far as working on sets or things like that. But if, if I didn't have a script that, right. that they liked, that they were interested in, uh, if, if I hadn't have done that, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered. Cause it would have just been, right. like, it just would have been somebody else that I met and then I could have, then I would have had to like maybe reach out to them at a later time with, Oh, Hey, now I've got a script. Do you remember me or something like that? You know, you know it seems, it seems like from the very beginning, it's been planning, 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 whether, whether you even planned to plan, it seems like you just right. planned your life from the very beginning and made it, made it happen. Yeah. I mean, in a way I, I think, yeah, you just, I, I feel like it's just, it, it's, it's about, it's about having that goal and not always knowing how you're going to get there, but, Right, you know, maybe just every every day taking a step in that direction, uh, and and knowing this is this is where I want to go. This is the, this is this is the the star in the sky that I'm following. Um, right, and, and I don't know if there's going to be uh, a river or a canyon between, you know, my eventual goal and that or not. Just always trying to move in that direction. Right. Let me ask you a question. You 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 come back from, you know, the situation nine eleven in, in Southeast Asia. You come back to uh, America. You're working on things. You're pushing. You're pushing things forward. You really don't know where your life's going to go. You're planning maybe going back to college and getting your degree and what have you. If you can go back and talk to that person, and I usually ask people this question, but if you can go back and talk to that person, is there anything you would tell that person differently today that 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 person understood back then? I'd say as far as specifically filmmaking and working in in this field, um, in, in, as far as that aspect, I would say just move to L.A. and do it because uh, in, in, in my mind, I, I, you know, like I said about, about like, Going towards your goal and, and, and moving forward, I didn't I didn't understand what that path was. Like, how do you get a job in Hollywood? That that to me 
was so so foreign and because right. because there's no one set path to it. Everybody comes at it from a different way. I feel like uh, you know a certain set of people go to film school and then there's the people who don't go to film school and and you know even if you go to film school, still the path isn't clear, right? Oh right. It's not yes. like it's not like becoming a doctor or a lawyer where okay, well I go to school. Get my degree, then I take this exam and I apply to this board, and then I do this, right? Do the bar exam, and I mean, it's just it's not it's uh, the film industry and the, the arts in general, right? Is so is is so unique, and and I I didn't know that I could just come to L.A. and just start meeting people and just get on sets and start doing stuff and. Uh, work my way in and you know write my own scripts and start meeting people who would fund projects and things like that. I mean, I, I, it, I mean it wasn't I it wasn't long like I came into I came into town and, and I just started meeting people. I mean you know you can't you can't throw a stick in L.A. right and not hit somebody who somehow works right. in the film industry. <laughs> right, you know, that's just like the the whole town is this, and, and so you can just come to town and just get a job doing anything and start meeting people and whatever it is you want to do in the industry, you can find somebody who's doing it and learn from them, or maybe they can get you a job PA in, or you can get, right. you know, be, be an intern at a, at a, uh, one of the big, um, one of the big studios or something. There's just so many right. things that you can do it and not living in LA growing up and not knowing anybody who's in the film industry was so, it was, it was just this, just just giant black box of like what's what's in there and and so and and that's why for me filmmaking had been more of a hobby because i just i didn't know how i just didn't know how you make money and how you made a job doing it and, well and you I, know i wish i had known that earlier you know oh really is how to make money yeah. in movies interesting yeah or yeah how yeah how to how to how to get a job and how to how to make a career out of how to be a filmmaker i mean um, I, I moved to, I finally moved to LA in 2008 and, wow. okay. um, so I was 32. Hmm. Um, and so that's, that's a pretty late start to, you know, to get into it. I mean, a lot of people come out straight out of high school, they go to film school. Sure. And right out of film school, they're, they're making movies. I mean, um, uh, I don't know how. I don't know how old Lucas was when he, uh, when he made oh, they were young. checks and when he made uh, but, but uh, I, American Graffiti, right? You know? But I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, Scotty. You know, every single time I've met you or I've talked to you, you've always been incredibly nice. And I, I would ask that question of how much, how much do you think that has contributed to your success of being appropriately nice to people and, and people enjoying your presence? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, like as a as a Steadicam operator, um, I get jobs uh, based on uh, my skill and my personality. Um, I, I work with I work with DPs and directors and producers, and those are the people that call me and hire me. And right. Um, there's, there's there's plenty of other steady cam operators in town that do a great job, um, but I feel like a lot of the reasons why I get brought back as a steady cam operator is because people enjoy working with me, 
because I have a good attitude on set because um, I like to I like to appropriately joke around and have fun and because I, I enjoy what I'm doing so much and I feel so fortunate to be doing what I love doing. Uh, being right. on set, playing with cameras, doing make believe is just to me is it's it's a dream come true to be getting paid to be doing this and so so that that reflects my attitude and what I'm doing and it's not oh grumble grumble I got to do this it's all right let's do this we're having fun we're making magic I like to say um, and it, whether it's an, an independent film and things are kind of chaotic and I'm trying to bring some sense and calmness to the set or it's, right. it's a bigger production and I'm I'm having fun and we're 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 making something great and we're joking around and, and enjoying what we're doing. I feel like those, those are all, those are all part of um, how, how I work and how, how I look at stuff. And I, I think that's definitely helped. Uh, I know when I, when I bring people on the projects, attitude has just so much to do with it because uh, you know, you know, you know, sometimes I'm asked to bring on uh, an AC, a camera assistant. Right. And, and and I go through and I, I I go through my mental rolodex and I and I think about who I know who's a good first AC and I know twenty kick-ass dynamite first ACs who can pull focus and know all the gear and all the stuff. But I, I think about the two or three that who do I want to spend twelve hours on set with? Ah, uh-huh. uh, yes. That can do the job, but also this person I'm going to be right next to this person. We're we're in the trenches. And you know, can can we joke around and have fun while we're still doing our job, or is it going to be somebody who's always complaining about everything? Because um, there's just people who, for for reasons I I can't fathom, um, work in the film industry and don't seem to be enjoying it. Right. Um, and I and I think to myself, why are you why are you doing this? Uh, people people become you know, people get bitter and they get cynical in it, and I get it to a certain extent. Um, and there's, hmm. I, I, I'm often working in the the low budget indie world where um, it's not union and things don't always go as planned. Um, and and some right. that that happens, and it, and it it triggers that fear anger response in them. Um, and and to me, it it doesn't. And so, so for some people, hmm. some go as planned. It, it it becomes a very terrible experience, and then that that reflected in, in their attitude. And and so, so those people I don't call when when I, I need to bring somebody on the team. I I right. try to bring people on the team that that have a great attitude and that uh, make make it an enjoyable experience because that's that's why I'm doing it because I'm not doing it for the money. Um, I mean, obviously, I right. need the money to pay my rent to pay my bills, but that's, you know, I, I, I would tell people, hey, if you're, if you want to work for the money, go work at a bank. That's, that's where the money is. <laughs> um, you know, like, uh, there, there's, there's plenty of money to be made in the film industry, and it's a show, show business, film industry, right? But it's like, people, people are in, in the film industry because, because they have a passion for making films and, and you know whatever aspect that is, and um, you, you make films because you have to because there's that 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 thing inside you that says I'm a creative person, and 
if I'm not doing this, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what else I'm doing with my life. Right. Right. Um, right. And, and that's, so, so I think, you know, attitude has so much to do with, with it. And, and, and I hope that, that, that reflects in, in the interactions that I have with people and people come away with a positive response from working with me on set or right. me in, in a, some other, some other kind of thing. I, I, I feel like it's not like a, a conscious effort as far as like, Oh, I, I gotta be nice. It's just, you know, I, I feel like that's just who I am, you know? And, right. And, you know, like I said, it, it uh, a lot of that comes out of my, my feeling of, of gratitude and, and feeling fortunate at, at the the opportunities that I've had and that, that I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I, I just feel so grateful for whatever fate has has uh, allowed me to be on this path. Um, you know, you know, one of the things that I, that I like to say is that uh, when I was a kid, my dad worked at the Chevron oil refinery. You know, <laughs> he wasn't in any way passionate about that job. I, I, right. um, I, I know he was doing that because he had to put food on the table for, for the family. Um, sure. And, and I get to be on set, um, playing with cameras and actors and silly costumes and having fun. And I, I, it doesn't feel like work to me. You know, sometimes it is physical work and the, the fact that the, the steady cams is a heavy thing and it's I'm doing physical work, but it doesn't feel like it to me. Right. Um, because it's, it's uh, obviously, I mean, it's not as bad as like if I was a construction worker or, or something like that. I mean, that's, that's physical work too, but you know, where's right. the, where's, where's, where's the payoff of that? And, and uh, like I said, I, I, I feel you so just sound appre- You just sound appreciative towards the, uh, towards what you want to, towards the fact that you're able to do what you want to do opposed to in your yeah, father yeah. doing something that he has to, he has to do in order to help his family survive. Uh, we have so right, many luxuries, right. you know, growing up with our family, yeah, yeah. You, you know, everybody's asking about the, the fifth passenger right now. How can we, how uh-huh. can we get this in our hands? Where, where is it right now? You know, hold on a second. You know, audience, guys, you mm-hmm. guys know you have Google now, right? I'm just talking to my audience. Mm-hmm. You guys know you have Google. You don't, you don't have to keep on texting. How do I get the fifth passenger? Because you can Google it, but, but please, Scott, tell us, how can we see this wonderful? I enjoyed it very much. Where can, where can we can see this? Uh-huh. Thanks. Well, um, you can you can see it on uh, Amazon Prime if you've got that, or if you don't have the Amazon Prime, you can just you know buy it off of Amazon or iTunes mm-hmm. or um, I, I think it's still on like a lot of the the VOD um, video on demand. It's on. Yeah, it's, v, it's on VOD. Yeah, I yeah. I saw it on Amazon Prime, so I, I would recommend if you know everybody here probably has Amazon Prime, give that a shot. Uh, I think I think you yeah, love yeah, I yeah. think you love the film. What I do like about it is, is the independent uh, feeling of it, and I also like the actors that are involved in it. Uh, the writing's very yeah. very good as well, which which obviously shows why they're there in the first place. Did, when you were writing the script, did you fe- did you feel like you had something good in your hands? Uh, because obviously people people did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's it's the kind of story that I love, and and that that's what I set out to do was. Uh, set out to to write the kind of film that I wanted to see um, and not you know you, you always have to kind of have your, your audience in mind but but I think well if, if I write something that 
that I like is the kind of movie I want to see, then other people who are like me will also like the film. So right. Um, right. I, I like films that are that are about uh, different characters thrown together into a situation uh, and seeing how they react. You know, one of the reasons I love like like zombie movies is is not not for the zombies and and all that stuff. Mm. Even though right. I, I I do enjoy that, but the thing about the original Night of the Living Dead, it was really about a bunch of people thrown together in this house, and you you have people from from different backgrounds and um I, like I I used to love Gilligan's Island as a kid. And oh yeah, that's, that's that same kind of thing. Is you know you've got the you've got the professor and you've got the millionaire and you've got Gilligan. So you have little old people from like different walks of life and they're forced to survive together. Right. And the 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 conflict of their personalities and their backgrounds and and so that's that's what like Fifth Passenger was to me is like Gilligan's Island in space with a dark <laughs> a dark twist to it. You know. Um, <laughs> I and, can see that. And so yeah. So, yeah, and that that's that's kind of what I set out to do with with the film. Is, is I feel there's a there's there's a there's a simple simple core and concept behind mm. yeah the film, and then then there's all the the glitzy, flashy stuff of the spaceships and and the uh, uh, hyperdrive and. And right. all this kind of <laughs> uh, techno battle stuff, and uh, there's there's the there's the technology in the film that uh, that, uh, that I was really happy to to like explore is the the mm. mem set this 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 technology where you can read people's memories and in and, and, and a sense like a like a dream machine almost. And, yes, and that, and that that was fun. That was that was that was fun to play with and, and to bring in, into it. And I think. Adds adds a unique element to the to the film, but um, the base story right is this um, lifeboat in space sort of thing that I think appeals to people, and, and that that's the, the the backbone and structure of the film that I think. Oh, we uh, can. I know the audience can't yeah. wait to see it. I, I can't wait to see it again. You know, Scott, we we've been talking so long. The show is just about over now. <laughs> Hey. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know how long our interview was going to be, but the show is literally almost over. Uh, thank you so oh. much for being on the show today and for being on at an earlier time than usual. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was a blast. I appreciate you having me on. It's, it's great to sit down and, and have some chats with uh, like-minded folks about what we love and are passionate about. Oh, I love talking to you, man. Uh, and listen, everybody, Fifth Passenger, get it on VOD, get it on Amazon Prime. I'll talk to you a little bit about it during after the commercial break. I'm going to put you on hold right now. We'll have a, a final conversation. But uh, thank you so much, Scott Baker, for, for being on our show. And uh, we're looking forward to, to everything you're doing in the future. Yeah, thanks. And I'll just say if um, uh, you want to hear me expound at length some more on stuff, I, I do a podcast sometimes with my other buddy, it's called the Old Fashioned Hollywood Podcast, and it's just oh. chatting about film and our personal life and whatnot. So, well, what's, what's the what's the what's it called again? It's called the Old Fashioned Hollywood Podcast. We we, we <laughs> old fashioned and talk about uh, talk about movies and politics and religion and just whatever comes to our mind. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. Thank you so much, Scotty Baker, for being on today. Have a blessed day, and yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you in a second. 
Thank you, sir. Well, I had a blast today. How about you? We had uh, two great guests on. Two great guests on. We had Lauren Peel and Scotty Baker. Lauren Peel was telling telling us everything about pulling focus to cameras, to camera tech, to where she came from, to where she's going, what college she went to. I mean, we went through everything. It was great. Some positive information on, on how to continue working, on how to stay positive. Uh, how to make friends and influence people. Read that book, Dale Carnegie. We had the fantastic Scotty Baker on. Talked to us about Fifth Passenger. Sorry about that Fifth Element thing. <laughs> I don't even know why I mentioned that movie. I I really don't even like it, I'll be honest with you. But I do love Luc Besson. I do like his films. I think what we got out of both of these people is... The fact that they work extremely hard and they act very, very meek and calm. That they know how much they're worth, but they don't need to brag. It's like a humble brag. They don't need to do anything more, but but to be nice and to work hard and to show people what they have, what qualities they have as human beings. That's very important, as you can see. People don't want to be around somebody who's a, a negative Nancy or a negative Dan. Does that make it misogynistic, right? Same positive is the most important thing. I appreciate all of you guys listening in today. We had a pretty big crowd. Take some time out today for yourself. Go see a movie on television, in the movie theaters. Watch The Fifth Passenger. Watch The Fifth Passenger. It is a good film. You're going to love it. Scotty Baker, as you can tell, is a great guy. Well, upward and onward, everybody, right? I love you all. Thank you, all of you, for joining me today. 
I'm Steve Pisa for Cinephiles Radio. I hope your day is as special as you are.